Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today. You know this message that you're about to hear. I pray that it not only inspires you, but encourages you to follow Jesus even more. In fact, there are probably people in your life who need to hear this timely word. Chances are you're thinking about them right now. Share this message with them. And listen, if you're watching on YouTube, let me encourage you to hit subscribe, stay tapped in. You know, I also wanna take the time to thank all those who support us. We wouldn't have any ministry outside these four walls if it weren't for our friends who come alongside us in prayer and supporting us financially. You know, there are thousands, there are thousands who are benefited by this ministry because of your giving, and we thank you. To continue or to even start supporting our mission to help others and their families follow Jesus, you can give by visiting cfmiami.org slash give. We also wanted to update you on something important. Recently, our on-demand services will be available starting Sunday evenings. To catch the entire service, be sure that you're logging onto our live streams when we begin services Sunday morning at 9 a.m., 10.45 a.m., and 12.30 p.m. Otherwise, you'll be catching the service midway through. Enjoy this sermon. Amen. Hey, you know, God's Word says that the Lord inhabits the praise of His people. Do you believe that the Lord is in this place at all campuses? Come on, let Him hear it. Amen. Amen. Hey, well, welcome, Christ Fellowship. So great to see you. Another beautiful day to worship our great God. My name is Omar, and I serve as a lead pastor here at Christ Fellowship. And I want to welcome everyone right now uh, joining us live stream online as well as our local campuses all across Miami. It's a blessing to be able to worship and study God's Word together across all campuses, all the way up from Doral to Coral Gables to West Kendall the Redland Homestead area, and here at Palmetto Bay. Come on, let's give our first-time guest one warm welcome. And if it's your first time here, listen, it's a great week to be here. We are continuing a series called Wrestling with God. You know, at times we feel in our walk with the Lord, it feels like we are wrestling with God in many ways. You know, last week we learned about wrestling with our, the concept of our future, right, our destiny, Today, we're going to be learning about how to wrestle with temptation. Yeah, I think all of us, right? It's applicable for all of us. And so, man, I am ready and excited to dive into God's Word. I hope you are as well. And so wherever you find yourself, let's open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 25. And uh, you can follow along with me as I read, all right? Listen to what God's Word says. Now, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau, his brother, came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. So Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? So Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau, what church family? What is it? Despised his birthright. In other words, Esau was tempted with a choice either to satisfy that temporal need, a temporal hunger, or enjoy the lasting birthright, the lasting spiritual blessings of God. That is God's Word. You can go into a seat, everybody, at all campuses.
And folks, let me start off by sharing this with you. You know, last week I shared with you all that Ashley and I, for our anniversary, we went to Colorado. And in the home that we stayed in was pretty remote. And what was really cool about it was that there was a lot of wildlife around. Now, kid you not, there were like 30 deer around us the entire time. Uh, at night, there were some mountain lions, which I got to admit was a little scary, a little, a little nerve-wracking. And there was trout and ponds. It was a really, really cool thing to see. And folks, I started researching, and I realized that in the Colorado wildlife, they were about to introduce wolves back into the wild. And folks, that was to restore a, a balance in nature. But folks, here's the thing. There are times that wolves do not need to be introduced into the wildlife. Quite the opposite. They have to be eradicated. And folks, not only to, to preserve a proper a balance in nature, but folks, more importantly, to keep children safe from hungry wolves that could prey on them in the evening. And so, and, and so the reality was that the way they do that is through what they call, obviously, traps. Now, Follow me here because one of the most famous traps, wolf traps, ever recorded was, were, were by the Eskimo people. And folks, it was a strategy that was both deceptive and deadly. And folks, here's what they would do. Here's the sequence of what they would do with these traps. Now, bear with me. It's a little gruesome, all right? But just follow along with me, all right? So here's what they would do. The Eskimo would grab a large knife the biggest it can find, and he will make the blade as, as sharp as possible. And for the first step was that he would cover that knife in blood, in animal blood. And then he would allow it to dry. Then, once it was dry, he would cover it again in animal blood and let it dry. And then again and again until the entire blade was covered in frozen animal blood. So you could not see the blade. And so once that was done, he would go out in the middle of the day to that path, to that area where he knows uh, the, the wolves were frequent. So he would get in the ground, he would stick the knife into the ground with the, with the blade part looking up. It almost looks like a little block of blood ice. And so here's what would take place. In the middle of the night, as the wolves would be traveling, they would obviously notice something on the ground. And folks, even though it was not something that they were used to, right? They were used to hunting. They were used to preying on a dead animal. At that juncture, the wolf had a choice. Everyone say choice. choice. Everyone say jo choice. choice. Yeah, he had a choice. Whether to ignore it and keep walking or to begin to engage in it, into that trap. And folks, once he began, the, the, the wolf begins to engage on, in that trap, he begins to lick the blood uh, uh, all through the night. Here's what happens. By the time that he finishes licking all of that icy blood, here's what happens. His tongue is already numb, so he cannot uh, feel the sting of the blade. And now the blood that he's tasting is not the animal blood. Folks, it is own blood and folks as he keeps doing that throughout the night eventually he bleeds to death and is found dead in the snow now i told you it was a little gruesome folks let me just bring that over to our teaching for today because what an example of how sin tempts us 
entraps us. And by that I mean that just like the wolf gave into the temptation and thereby lost everything, just like that. And here's the main idea as we open up God's word today. Listen, sin has a way of tempting us or baiting us with some sort of temporary pleasure, with some sort of temporary uh, satisfaction or, 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 or need. And here's the thing, at that, at that moment, listen, we all have a choice either to give in, either to, to walk away from that temptation, right, or to give in into that trap, into that temptation. And family, here's what we need to understand. Once we give into that trap, once we give into that temptation, folks, it keeps us there. It keeps us there. And the longer that we stay engaged in that sin, not only does it begin to harm us, it begins to harm everyone around us. And folks, if we stay there long enough, we could lose everything, even our very lives. And who knows, maybe you're here right now sitting and you're thinking, Omar, listen, man, I'm tracking with you because there are times that I see myself falling into temptation. And, and, and Omar, it's like a trap. And, and I get stuck in there, and the longer that I'm in, I see myself how it begins to affect me. Maybe for you the trap is, uh, is, is lost. Maybe for you it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's bitterness. Perhaps it's greed. You want to keep all, that, all the money for yourself. Never be generous. Never do anything for the gospel. Maybe it's gossiping. And so what happens is once we engage and these temptations, not only does it affect us, we get hurt, it starts hurting people around us, but folks, it starts impacting our very lives, amen? amen. You're thinking, Omar, I, I wanna honor God. I, I wanna live the life that honor God. So Omar, what do we need to know when we are faced with that choice, when we are faced with that temptation, what do we need to know in order not to engage and just keep moving on? Well, folks, we're going to find out today from an ancient story in Genesis chapter 25 of two brothers, Jacob and Esau, all right? So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Genesis chapter 25. You can follow along in our listening guides as well as in our app. And folks, today I have two important thoughts for us about temptation. Christ Fellowship at all campuses, let me hear you. Are you all ready to dive into God's Word? Let me hear you. Yeah. All right. So write this down as point number one. Here's the first thing we need to know. That is this. The wrestling with temptation is the greatest fight of your life. Now folks, listen to what God's word has to say. It says, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Now, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was what? Exhausted. Stop right there and slip into the scene. Because as you can tell, the twin boys, the twin baby boys that we learned about last week, by now they are grown men. And as you can tell, Jacob was more of an indoors man, more uh, a sophisticated man, while Esau was that rugged outdoorsman who loved to hunt. 
And so as we just read, right, the mother, Rebecca, was a little closer to Jacob, while Isaac was closer to Esau. Why? Because they shared that passion for hunting, and so they had that in common. And so one day, Esau came back from a hunting trip, and folks, he was exhausted and he was hungry. And so listen to what happens next. It says, and Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Edom sounds like red in the Hebrew. So Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Now, here's what's happening. Esau here is tempted with a choice. And, and that's either to satisfy an immediate need, right? In this case was his hunger. Or to enjoy his birthright for the rest of his life. Now, for us in modern day, birth, the, the concept of a birthright sounds like it's, it's, it doesn't really matter. But folks, in this context, it was extremely significant. Because folks, not only were there some significant spiritual blessings that came as the firstborn, but also the firstborn was to receive twice the amount of inheritance as all the other brothers. So for example, in Deuteronomy 21, listen to what it says. It says that a father shall acknowledge the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the first fruits of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. So notice Esau being the firstborn twin, remember he was born first, he was in line to receive, get this, twice as much as Jacob. In addition, he was going to receive a special spiritual blessing that would come from his father Isaac for the future. So here, Jacob is being a little sneaky, right? He's a deceiver, and he's trying to capitalize on this situation by tempting him with some stew. Now, that must have been some good stew, right? And so, folks, even though, right, this story may seem kind of insignificant, almost like kind of odd if you think about it, this is what this moment in biblical history is going to show us. In fact, write this down as letter A, that the insanity of sin is despising eternal joy for temporary pleasure. Now, listen to what happens next. He says, Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then, e then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentils too, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau, what church? Despised his birthright. So what do we see here? Esau, at that moment, was craving this do so much that he forfeited, he sold his birthright. Again, folks, it's not even the wealth aspect of it, but he forsook the spiritual blessing of his father regarding the spiritual things of God. Which, by the way, you're going to be back next week because next week we're going to be looking at that moment where these blessings were given. So you got to be back for that. But folks, here's what I want to point out to us. What is sad is that the decision was made by Esau in an instant without a thought. 
In fact, the great theologian um, John Owen, uh, who wrote The Mortification of Sin, an old little book with, regarded as one of the best books about sin and temptation, he once said this, John Owen, he said this. He said, Esau gave little thought that when he sold his inheritance, he had completely forfeited God's eternal what? Blessing. Blessing. And folks, this, don't miss this, this is the insanity of sin. It's whenever in our life we look at something which value is temporal, which value is, which pleasure is trivial, and without much thought, listen, we choose it over the greater blessings of God. Folks, this is what happened from the very beginning. You know, when you look at Adam and Eve, when Eve decided to choose a bite of fruit instead of an eternal relationship with God. Esau, Adam followed, we all followed. Esau eventually inherited that madness, that insanity of sin, and he gave up for a bite of stew the eternal blessings of God. And folks, listen, we inherited that from, from them as well, amen? Here's the reality. Listen, for a quick moment of passion, we destroy our marriages. For a quick moment of anger, giving into anger, we hurt those we love. For a quick moment of lying, of deceiving, listen, we forfeit our integrity. We forfeit who we are. And so here's a question that I want to pose for us. I want to give us a statement, and I want you to fill in this blank honestly when you read it. Here it is. In your life, listen, I am despising the blessing of God for the momentary pleasure of what? Just think about it in your own life. I am despising God's blessing in an area of my life because I'm giving in to the momentary pleasure of what? For some of us, it's lust. For some of us, it's unforgiveness. For some of us, it's bitter. It's bitterness, it's anger. For some of us, it could be Greed, we hold in all the blessings of God. We're not generous to others or the things of God, so we hold it in. You see, what you need to understand is whenever you despise the Lord, the, you know, when you, whenever you choose that momentary pleasure, you're despising God's blessing in your life in that specific area. And folks, what makes it worse is this, write this down, letter B, that despising the blessings of God always leads to more sin. You know, I always like to remind you that Scripture's best commentary, it's Scripture itself. And so if you fast forward from the book of Genesis to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, listen to what the book of Hebrews in the New Testament has to say about this ancient story. It says this, he says, see to it 
that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single what? For a single meal. Now, you may be sitting right now watching online or maybe watching at one of our campuses, and you're probably thinking, wait, wait a second, Omar. I, I, I thought, where does sexual immorality and ungodliness come, come from? I just thought Esau just, just picked stew over his birthright. Well, here's what happens. It's a slippery slope. Right after this, in the next several chapters, we see that Jacob uh, goes off, and he goes off to a land to find a godly woman to be his wife. When Esau, in order to despise not only his parents, but, even, but ultimately God, began to violate God's divine command, he began to intermarry with a bunch of the women, the Canaanite women, women of the land, who were ungodly, who were idol worshipers. And, 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 and so he became more and more sexually more. In fact, Jewish tradition holds that Esau throughout his life became more ungodly and way more sexually immoral than that. And so what we see here in, in, in Esau's life is that despising that God's blessing led him down the path towards sexual immorality. Now, let me take a moment to address sexual sin because it's what it led Esau to engage in. You know, sexual sin in today's culture is oftentimes, it's always minimized, and oftentimes it is celebrated, right? You look at movies, you look at TV shows, you look at their phones, right? It's oftentimes celebrated. When we look at God's word, sexual sin is one of those sins that God warns us can grab us and take a hold of our heart like nothing else. In fact, God's word says this. It says, flee from sexual immorality. Everyone say flee. flee. Everyone say flee. flee. Yeah, flee from sexual immorality. For every other sin a person commits, it's outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God, you are not your own. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price at the cross. So glorify God in your body. You know, the word sexual immorality there, listen carefully. It means any sort of sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage. So that includes premarital sex. Uh, that includes living together. That includes uh, pornography. That includes adultery once you're married. Uh, that includes homosexual, uh, uh, homosexual sexual actions. So basically any sexual activity outside of God's blessed design for marriage. And family, my, my fear is that some of us may, have been, may be engaging in some of these sexual sins 
And in our mind, we are minimizing, right, because culture says it's fine, your buddies at work, your, uh, your, your friends at school say it's perfectly fine, they celebrated, or you know it's wrong, but somewhere along the line you think, well, God understands me, and so he's giving me a pass for this sin. It's not really affecting me much. And folks, listen carefully. You're not only at this juncture living a life that dishonors God, but you're allowing this sin to take a grip of your soul, of your heart, in a way you can never even imagine. In fact, listen carefully. Sex is, a, is God's gift to a husband and a wife, and it's to be enjoyed in the covenant of a, a relationship of, of the relationship of marriage. But if you keep going down this path, listen, you're not only gonna forsake God's blessings when it comes to your romantic life, but listen, you're allowing this sin to take deep root in your heart, again, in a way you never even dreamed of. And so this is why God's word says, flee, flee sexual immorality. And listen up, students, Listen up, young adults. Listen up, singles who are young. You know, oftentimes, young adults say, oh, you know, Omar, what is God's plan for my life? You know, you're early on. You're trying to figure out what's God's plan for your life. You want to know God's plan for your life? Listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. You becoming more like Christ. And then notice what it says. That you obtain from sexual immorality that each one of us, of you, know how to control his body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Who do not know God? For God has not called us, for God has not called you, me, for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, Disregards not man. You don't disregard Pastor Omar. You disregard who? God. He, he who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You know, when I was in my teenage years, I made a commitment to God to wait until marriage to have sexual relationships. Relations. And by the grace of God, which is always by the grace of God, uh, I was able to wait. In fact, when Ashley and I started dating, we both made a commitment that we were not going to sin in that area and we were going to wait and enjoy the blessings of God in the context of a marriage. And by the grace of God, we were able to do this. So, and the reason I say that to you is because, listen, God wants the best for you. He doesn't want to steal your joy. He wants you to enjoy the fullest, the blessings that he has from you. So, so listen, if you right now are struggling with this, listen, so it's, it's okay but listen, what's not okay is just to keep on. There has to be a moment you say, you know what? I, I'm no long, I'm gonna get out of this trap and I'm gonna move forward in purity because I wanna honor the Lord from here on out and I wanna experience the blessings of God according to his will. Because listen, God, what God wants for you is much greater than that momentary pleasure that you're giving yourself into. Can I get an amen to that? So folks, going back to the story, what we are going to learn is that sin not only leads you to more sin, 
but worse, write this down, let her see. Despising God's blessing can lead you to a point of no return. In fact, listen to what the passage in Hebrews goes on to say. He says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. And here, and notice carefully what it says now. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, we're going to learn about this next week. When he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Listen, we should not think that Esau's forgiveness and restoration were an absolute impossibility. Instead, Esau's action shows us that he never truly understood the gravity of his sin, and he never came to true repentance. And here's, here's the reason. You all ready? Yeah? Here's why. Because Esau was sorry that he lost the blessings of God, but he was not sorry that he lost the God of the blessing. See, Esau was sorry, was sorrowful, because he missed out on all the blessings, but he was not sorry that he sinned against God. In fact, and, and folks, folks, for so many people, that's exactly what plagues so many people in today's society. People are sorrowful when they experience the consequence of sin. Why? Sin always leads to sorrow. But so many people are not sorry against the God who they sin against. They just don't like the consequences of sin. And so don't miss this because before coming to know Christ as Savior, sorrow has a, uh, uh, is a tool in your life. You see, sorrow can either lead a person to God or sorrow can lead a person away from God. In fact, listen to what God's word says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It says, for godly grief, godly sorrow, produces a repentance that leads to what? Yeah, to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces what? Death. You see, when a person is grieving over their sin, it could either lead them to Christ to find forgiveness or it could lead them away from God and they get further and further away from God and that's what happened to Esau. And folks, here's what the reality. There's a point where God's word says that God gave them up, that God gives people up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. See, folks, there is a moment in time that God is convicting, but that God at times, he will stop convicting and let you go on and deeper and deeper into your sin. Folks, that's what happened here. Now, when we all read the story of Esau, let me warn you, because for so many of us, when we're reading and listening to this story, we can almost get prideful. We can almost look down at Esau like, what a foolish man Esau was. Stew? For, 
and giving up his birthright? And so it's easy for us to look down and pry down at Esau, but listen carefully. If you think about it, we're all types of Esau. You see, apart from God's grace, we're all cursed with the madness of Esau. Listen, we're all sinners who choose one bite of stew and reject God apart from Christ. Isn't that right? And so the reality is that in our sin, well, apart from Christ, listen, we are without hope. We are stuck in this insanity of sin in the madness of Esau that eventually came from Adam and Eve. So in our sin, listen, we are without hope. But you all ready for the good news, Christ Fellowship? Yeah? Write this down as big number two. Jesus wrestled with temptation and he overcame it. One person agrees with that. Come on, let's praise God for that. In fact, listen to what God's word says. He says, look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, we see that Jesus was tempted in every way yet without sin. While Esau could not endure the temptation of a stew and forsook everything. In fact, when you look at the book of Hebrews, uh, when you read it in the original Greek text, there is a very striking similarity between Jesus and Esau. In fact, when you read it in the English, you get the sense of it. I want to show you visually to see the, the parallel structure here. For example, Esau... It says, who for a single meal sold his birthright, Jesus, our Lord. Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You see the similarities here? And folks, here is why this parallel is so important. Write this down as letter A. Because listen, Jesus modeled for us how to overcome temptation. You see, Jesus understood that the promises of God were greater than the promises of sin. You know, a few weeks ago, I shared with you an an analogy that I think may help us understand of how the enemy tempts us, right? You know, when the enemy comes to your life with, with a certain temptation, whatever the case may be, he always comes like this. Remember? He always comes like this. And in one hand, he's going to show you that momentary pleasure that momentary relief, whatever the case may be, he's going to show you with one hand that momentary pleasure. But you know what the enemy will never do? The enemy will always keep behind the cost, the consequences of that sin. Because if he were to show you side by side the pleasure of that sin and the consequence of that sin, listen, the consequence of the sin is always far more greater than the momentary pleasure. But when our good Lord, when he comes to us, listen, he will always show you the cost of following him. Amen? Amen. But, but why? But he will also, unlike the enemy, will show you the blessings of God. Why? Because the blessings for obedience far outweigh the cost of following him. Can I get an amen to that? And folks, Jesus did more than just modeling. Write this down as letter B. Jesus made a way 
out of the insanity of sin. This is why God's word says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on that cross, that we might die to what? To sin. And to live to what? To righteousness. By his wounds you have been what, church? You have been healed. Folks, what are we healing from what? Folks, healing from the insanity of sin. You see, what, our, what we need, what our sinful hearts and minds, what we need to be redeemed is from the madness of Esau, from the folly of sin, what we keep choosing in our lives, the temporal, and we reject the eternal. You see, and the reality is that at that, at that moment when Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross for us and then resurrected to new life, listen, as he was dying on that cross, he was purchasing for you Listen, a brand new heart, a, a rational mind, a heart that's able to determine the reality of sin and be able to choose righteousness and obey God and honor God and, and, and live in the blessings of God. You see, where Christ, Christ succeeded when, where all of us failed. Why? So that we can be healed and we can live the life that God has envisioned for us. Can we praise God today, today at our campuses? And so folks, let me end with this. Some of you came in today at one of our campuses. Maybe you're watching online. And the reality is as you were listening to Esau's story, you begin to realize that Esau's story is a lot like your story. You see, for all your life, you've been, you've been realizing that you have been forsaking God for so long in your life, but you've been giving to everything in this world to try to satisfy those desires. That's why you go from relationship to relationship. You go from job to job. You go from a friend, group of friends to group of friends, from lifestyle to lifestyle, from party to party, from hobby to hobby. Guess what? Listen, you're, all you're doing is you're looking at different stews and trying to test it out, but you keep rejecting the God who loves you. There's something in your heart right now as you're sitting here. There's something that says, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. I need God in my life. I'm tired, I've tried so much of the world, what the world has to offer me, and it always comes out empty. It always leaves me emptier than when I first started. And I'm tired. And what I need in my life, I want God in my life. I want a relationship with God, I want to be right with God, I, I want to start a journey with God. And you probably wonder, well, Omar, how do you do that? So we've learned here, it's not about sitting in a chair at church. It's not about being a moral person. It's not about doing a ritual or some sort of tradition to make yourself feel a little, a little godly. It's nothing like that. The Bible says that those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How do you call on the Lord? Very simple. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. See, there has to be a moment that you transfer your trust from all the things of this world and you put them on what Jesus Christ did for you. How he lived the perfect life of obedience so you didn't have to. How he died of sin for you and resurrected to new life. 
And folks, listen, the Bible says that the moment that you put your trust, that you surrender your life, you depend on God, the Bible says that all those things that you've done in the past that you've been so ashamed of, you're forgiven. He then comes and then brings you close. He adopts you as a son and daughter. You start a personal relationship with God. And here's the best thing about it. From that moment on, listen, you're no longer a creation of God. You are a child of God. And you start a personal relationship with God. And you might stumble at times, but listen, your journey is secure. Now you're on the path to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And now you start a brand new life, a new, a new, a new segment of your life, which is completely different from the past. The question is, is as you're sitting here at one of our campuses, are you going to keep trusting the things of this world? Or is it today that day that you're going to transfer your trust and put your faith and trust in Christ? Just bow our heads for prayer. My Lord, for those of us who are already believers in you, O oh Lord, who have already given our lives to you, Lord, we are thankful, O oh God, that, Lord, at that cross, you redeemed us from that curse of Esau, from that madness of sin where we now realize the reality of sin and we're able now to pursue righteousness and holiness in a relationship with you, Lord. Thank you for delivering us. But I want to speak to some of us here today with all heads bowed and all eyes closed at all of our campuses. And maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know, that's me. Man, I'm ready. I, I, I need to get right with God. I, I need to start a new relationship with God. I, I want God in my life. Well, if that's you, listen, in a few moments, I'm going to lead you through a prayer. And the prayer is not some sort of poem. It's just me helping you to talk to God. So when, you, when I lead you through a prayer, listen, you talk to God. You don't talk to me. I always like to remind you, when you pray, listen, you don't pray this never to me. I'm simply a man. I cannot save you. You pray to the God who loves you and gave his son to die on the cross for you. So if you're ready at all campus, if you feel like, man, that's me, pray this quietly to yourself. Father, today I come before you and realize how much I need you. I'm tired of living a life apart from you. So I come before you, O oh Lord, and I confess all of my sin. And I ask you for forgiveness of my sin. put my trust in you, O oh Lord. Save me today, Lord. And for the rest of my life, help me to live a life that honors you and brings you glory. Thank you, Father, for saving me today. It's in Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.